Diversity and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill. I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. So on this episode of the podcast, I am delighted to welcome uh, my guest, Mr. Jeremy Coleman. Um, We're going to talk about what it's like to be the lonely only um, with Jeremy tonight. And I'm getting ready to kind of give you a a little background wise. So Jeremy is a soon to be second year student at Western University of Health Sciences out in Pomona, California where he is the only African-American male in his class. And so for a bit of context on what that really means, we all know that men now only comprise for this year, this academic year, 18.4% of the U.S. total number of veterinary students, which is over uh, 13,000. When we disaggregate the data and look specifically at minority men, of which there are only 495 currently enrolled, they make up 3.7%. So then when you break that down even further to look specifically at Black or African-American men, there are only 71 students um, uh, meeting this kind of demographic in enrolled in the U.S. veterinary schools at this time. And 27 of those individuals are currently enrolled at Tuskegee University, which, of course, is our only historically black college or university with a vet school in the U.S. So, again, 71. We're not even at 100 out of 13,000 for um, African-American or black males. So for those of you keeping up with the math and math whizzes, those 71 students make up only one half of 1% of more than 13,000 veterinary students in the U.S. And Jeremy is one. He is one of the 71. So the reality is Jeremy's very presence in vet school in the U.S. is rare. It's rare. And so he's a little bit of a unicorn, I suppose. (laughs) So Jeremy spoke at the 2019 AAVMC annual conference about his experience as the only Black male in his class. It was so good, so great. I thought I'd have him on the show to talk a little bit about this experience and give folks a bit of a window into his life as a vet student at Western University and specifically as the only African-American male in his vet school class. So welcome to the show, Jeremy. Hi, Dr. Greenhill. Thank you for having me. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So thank you for helping me with my podcast debut, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome. Welcome. And so I hope that it is not too startling for me to kind of set it up as, you know, there's not too much pressure as you're one of the 71. So like you're, you're bringing all those, this, your voice is speaking for a lot of people tonight. I know, no pressure at all, Dr. Greenhill. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How'd you get to Western? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Okay, yeah. So, my name is Jeremy, like Dr. Greenhill said. I'm a first year of a student at Western University of Health Sciences in Pomona, California. And I think my my introduction to veterinary medicine and my journey to veterinary medicine is pretty uh, non-traditional, but it's, beca- it's actually becoming the norm, if you will. I graduated from Jim Hill High School in Jackson, Mississippi, which is where I was born, 
And then I moved to Oxford, Mississippi, about two hours north of Jackson. And I went to the University of Mississippi, better known as Ole Miss, to get my bachelor's degree in biology. Uh, it took me four years to do that. And then after that, although I knew I wanted to go to, to go to veterinary school, I didn't feel like I had enough life experience to um, apply to veterinary school. So I looked for master's programs at veterinary schools that would allow me to pursue my interests uh, in science to get some more uh, animal and veterinary experience, as well as, I guess, to, um, again, build my life experiences. So I applied for a master's degree in toxicology program at Colorado State University, where I then attended and I graduated with my master's degree uh, just last year in 2018 from Fort Collins, Colorado. And then uh, I was a, I applied to veterinary school last summer and I was just I was accepted in uh, January of uh, last year. And I'm here now, first year veterinary student at Western. And of course, I, I get to meet so many great people through my veterinary career. And I got to meet Dr. Greenhill, like she said, at the 2019 uh, AAVMC national meeting in Iverson Bell Symposium, where I had the, the joy of speaking on a panel with you in Washington, D.C., which is really nice. Uh, and we were just discussing uh, building inclusive teams in veterinary medicine. So I guess you saying that I'm a unicorn, I mean, don't put too much uh, weight on me personally. <laughs> but uh, it's, it was really nice. I guess it's nice to have a voice in veterinary medicine and to, to, get, to, I guess, just give my perspective on things. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. So, wow, you moved around a lot. I just kind of want to shout out, uh, while Ole Miss is not Mississippi State, Ole Miss, you're certainly following in some really important footsteps, though. For folks that don't know, it was only in 1962 when Ole Miss was integrated by James Meredith who mm-hmm. went on to be a writer, certainly a, a prominent civil rights movement figure. But so you follow in, in some some big footsteps there. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I owe uh, James Meredith. He's he's an icon. Like Great. Uh, I met him my first football game at Ole Miss. The wow. first football game that I went to. So I guess that was a sign that I was in the right place. Yeah. Wow, that's that's so awesome. So um, yeah, I'll have to we'll have to chat about that offline because I'm like a big groupie of, yeah. <laughs> of, of Mr. Meredith. So so tell us a little bit about how specifically you developed an interest in in veterinary medicine. Did you know when you wanted to be young? I mean, most of our applicants say that they wanted to be a veterinarian by the they they knew by the age of ten, right? But we also know that just in general, we lose a lot of men along the way in the pipeline. So, what was your journey to specifically in terms of interest in the profession? Well, I know you say I'm a unicorn just from being African American male in veterinary medicine, but I also feel like I'm a unicorn just how I became interested in veterinary medicine. Uh, Unlike my classmates and my peers and mostly anyone I meet in veterinary medicine, I didn't know what a veterinarian was, like you said, at age 10. Uh, So I didn't know I wanted to be one or I didn't even know it was a thing to be. So the earliest thing I can remember about animals was that my parents had animals as we were growing up. And if the animals got sick, you know, I didn't know what happened to them. You know what? I mean, you you know, honestly, I mean, they got sick. They got sick and then they got better. And then, you know, I would see them when they were better and then I'd leave them alone when they were sick. You know, that it, it was just like we loved our pets, uh, me and my uh, brothers as kids. But we weren't really, I guess, too interested in their like what happened to them when they were sick. 
I guess it was just like if you had a little brother who was sick, you let your parents take care of them and then like you leave them alone for a couple of weeks and then you come back and be like, oh, you're all better now. That's kind of how it was Uh with some of our dogs. And so uh, we never, if they, if our parents took them to the veterinarian, we we were never in those conversations, especially I guess with uh, costs of veterinary care. So we were never uh, at veterinary clinics like we were at hospitals when my brothers got sick. So we Mm -hmm. knew about doctors, uh, medical do- human medical doctors. Like I said, I didn't know I wanted to go to veterinary school actually until my junior year of my undergraduate career at Ole Miss, which is pretty late considering most students apply for veterinary school the summer between their junior and senior year. Right. So previously, before that, I wanted to go to human medical school. But after a couple of experiences in clinics and hospitals, I didn't see it as a passion for me. Mm-hmm. Luckily, uh, while my time at Ole Miss I was pre-med. So uh, pre-med and pre-vet classes are roughly the same. Mm-hmm. So once I graduated from Ole Miss, I had all of my prereqs for veterinary school. But once I graduated, like I said, I applied for CSU's toxicology program because CSU had a veterinary school. And I knew that I want to be at a veterinary school during my master's education because, like I said, uh, it, was, it wasn't until junior year when I found out I wanted to be a veterinarian. So luckily, I was accepted at Colorado State. So I had the opportunity to build my appreciation for science a bit more and truly fi- like find my passion inside of veterinary medicine. And honestly, if I had just applied to veterinary school like right after undergrad, I don't think I would appreciate it as much as I do now. Mm. Because, like I said, I wanted to go. I want to be a, a human physician going into undergrad. So changing into veterinary medicine and, and wanting to become a veterinarian, I feel like I had to want to earn it more. So I feel like I appreciate it more now that I'm a, I'm actually in it. You know, I have three years sure. left. So it was, a, it was kind of like a wacky journey, but it's led me now. I met great people like you along the way. So it's, it's been good. Good. I, so I, I want to, no, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I have no regrets. Good. Well, we all want to hear. <laughs> we, uh-huh. we're, that's the best part, right? <laughs> no regrets. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of want to, um, delve in a, a, a little bit to a couple of things that you said. And and one being that, you know, if your parents took you to the vet, it doesn't necessarily mean that you went or, you know, that always they took the animals to the vet. And one of the th- messages I know that I've been trying to explain to many of my colleagues in the profession in the many years I've been hanging around is that oftentimes we hear folks saying in communities of color or low income communities or otherwise underrepresented communities, if we can just convince those folks to own more pets or to own pets if they don't have them, then young people would get exposed to veterinary medicine. I'm like, no, there's not really necessarily a correlation there. It doesn't, you know, having a pet does not necessarily mean that the family will take the pet to the vet. So that's one point. And then the second point is in some cultures, and I mean, for for folks that know me, I'm African-American. I identify as African-American, grew up in the South as well. Not as deep South, but Virginia, which desperately wishes it was more Southern than it is. Um, But in some cultures, there's also the, this kind of um, notion of staying out of grown folks' business, right? And so money sometimes can be grown folks' business. Bills were definitely grown folks' business. And so even if there was an interaction with a healthcare professional, whether it be human or veterinary or, or what have you, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a kind of familial discussion about all that entails. Right. Right. Because again, kids are kids and grown folks are grown folks. And right. we're often, at least culturally, we're often sold to 
stay out of grown folks' business. <laughs> oh my God, so true. So I, I would call my mom and I'd be like, Mom, I asked my mom a question. She'd be like, stay out of grown folks' business. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I agree that, you know, if uh, we did have, if people like from my community and people like me, if we did have pets growing up, like you said, we we weren't in the conversation about the pet's health, you know, or things like that. Or if we were, it'd be like, uh, don't give Fluffy that chocolate because it's bad for them. You know, things like that, you know, something like something to proactively prevent any health complications with the pet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel like why I wanted to go to human medical school first. It's not because I knew uh, doctors growing up. It was just that like when I went to the hospitals or I went to the clinics for vaccines or things like that, I would be just like enamored with like all of it, like how a simple injection or a pill or some cough syrup that, you know, I was really reluctant to taste to, to, to the taste of uh, when I was younger, but how that just like medicine could heal me mm. like in a way, you know? And I think I was just like interested in the science behind it all, which is why, you know, I became interested in science and medicine in general. It's just not until my junior year of uh, college when I realized Oh, I love animals. Oh, I love science. I didn't know there was a career that put them together. Got know, it. Like that. So, so you developed a, a, a your interest in science. Were there kind of some role science, you know, role scientists, role models? Um, we can kind of tell from this conversation that they certainly weren't veterinarians. Right. Right? <laughs> so, so we can take that off the table. But you know, who were your role models, and were they really involved in STEM? And and were any of those role models people that looked like you? You know, black men. Actually, let me think. I have to think about this one. But okay, so then the short answer is no. Got your green hill, but. Uh... <laughs> I get kind yeah, of, yeah. <laughs> but like I feel like my mom, she was a huge role sure. model. Like she's a um, she works in a, ph- a pharmacy, okay, uh, the pharmacy space. So I feel like she has always been a role model for me. Like even though like I don't always show it, you know, I feel like she's one of the first people who taught me to like work for what I want uh-huh. because it wouldn't be given to me without the work. And just like she always uh, made sure me and my brothers were at school if we weren't sick or if there wasn't a day off, we'd be at if we'd be at school. I think growing up, the three places we were at more was church, home and school. And I think that's like the same for like a lot of people in my community, especially growing up. Like she really taught me that, you know, I could go anywhere with, you know, an education. So I feel like I saw growing up like education was my way to finding myself in a sense. Sure. And of course, like, you know, you have like the TV dramas of like Dr. Meredith Grey, who like everybody loves. Uh, and I feel like she was one of my, I don't really say she's like, she's one of my role models. She's like one of my like fake role models, maybe. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly someone, someone that you saw and at least career wise could, could identify with and aspire to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I haven't seen the newer episodes of Grey's Anatomy, so maybe that might change if I did see it. But no, it's like she just her urge to learn new things and events mm-hmm. her career, events her career while maintaining a personal life outside of medicine. And I feel like something that all professional students strive to do and strive to be that powerful Dr. Gray, you know, who just knew everything. But yeah, just something like uh, something like that. And also when I moved to Colorado State, my advisor. There, Dr. Laguerre, she's mm-hmm. one of my 
powerful role models too. Just like her willingness to teach and take you in when no one else will, just it contributed highly to me wanting to become a veterinarian and include all aspects of my educational journey into my future profession. Like when I graduate from veterinary school, I want to use my biology degree as well as my toxicology degree in concert with one another. Great. Awesome. So let's talk about your this first year at Western. So when did you realize you were the only black male? Let me see. Like my first realization, maybe the first week. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't come in saying, oh, I'm going I'm probably going to be like the only black person here or like there's probably only going to be a couple of us here. But I think within that first month, I was just like I was looking around. You know how you just look around and you say, hmm, I wonder if there's anyone else here who looks like me, you know, a black male. And then I just, you know, I just figured it out. I didn't ask anyone. I guess me and my friends, we kind of like joked about it the first week, but it wasn't, I think it was that first week when I first found out. And it was just like, oh, okay. You know. This is what we're doing here for the next four years. (laughs) Yeah, for the next four. No, like I said, it would have been so much more different if I came from Ole Miss to California. Like a huge culture shock. But coming from Colorado, uh, my master's class was, there were a couple of Black students in there as well, like other Black males as well. So I knew like, uh, as I go up, I guess the scientific uh, community, there'd be maybe less African-American males. So it wasn't a complete shock. It was just, you know, I thought there'd be at least maybe one other. So it really is the lonely only. (laughs) Yeah. And it's crazy when you say the lonely only, because before meeting you, Dr. Greenhill, I I didn't know what it was that I was talking about or that I was included in. But now that you say that, and since I heard it like at the national meeting from you and just being in class, it kind of, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so no one told you, you just kind of looked around and figured it out. (laughs) It's kind of process of elimination. That's so funny. Yeah. You're just like looking around and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, th- this is it. This is it. So do you ever feel hyper visible in your class? Well, what do you mean when you say hyper visible? So hyper visible, you're the only one. And so you're the only one. So everyone sees you. <laughs> of course, everyone sees Jeremy because let me just say this, because he is incredibly like debonair. He's very kind clearly just brilliant and incredibly personable. So of course you're, you're, you're probably pretty well known on campus, but I guess what I'm getting at is that like, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I can't, I can't caught up in vet school because everyone will know it's me. I guess I feel, I do, I guess I do feel that way. Like if I wanted to, I'm an introvert. Uh, I know like it kind of comes off like I'm an extrovert, but I feel like I'm an extrovert among the introverts. You know, like I feel like my close friend groups are all introverts and we like, you know, we just have that group. Uh Yeah, I guess I do kind of feel like, you know, like if I wanted to sink back into my jacket or if I wanted to sit, you know, in the back of the class, you know, I I guess I couldn't. Or, you know, everything I did was like, oh, yeah, that's Jeremy. Or like everybody knew my name within like, I guess, like the first few months, but not because, you know, of my personality or such, only because, you know, like, oh, like the black kid for lack of a better term and it's not it's not offensive or anything like i don't take a you know like it's natural you know like i'm black you know it's true right yeah like my literally in my high school we had like two white kids and you know everybody knew their name because they were the only two white kids there so you know 
it's just like it's a different end of the spectrum. Sure, sure. So has your time been great there? Oh, it's been good. Uh, I feel like I came in with one of my uh, friends from Colorado and I think having uh, him there, it's been pretty good. And also my class at Western is very supportive. Like I came into vet school thinking it would be cutthroat and like everybody would like be stabbing you in the back trying to get a higher grade (laughs) or something like that. I guess I was just like into like the two pre-med or Mm pre-vet mentality that like there's only so many spots and there's so many of us that like they have to pick us somehow. Right. Um, But I feel like my class is pretty good. Like we feel like we're all here now. So let's just let's just get there, you know. Sure. But I think I'm sure it probably also helps to be in a location like Southern California, which is just so diverse. Yes, it is. Um, Yes. Uh, I thought I was I thought Mississippi was pretty diverse. I come to Southern California and I didn't know what diversity was, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But like it's like, yeah, it's good. Like even my class is so diverse. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I'm kind of, what would you like your future, your current and future colleagues, maybe that don't know you outside of Western to know about what it's like to be the only one? And again, it's not necessarily negative, but like, what do, you know, what would you want people to know about what that, what that experience is like? I want them to know that being the lonely only doesn't necessarily mean that you're alone. That mm-hmm. there are others in the community who, who want to uplift you, who want to see you succeed, your faculty, your peers, your mentors, uh, people like you, Dr. Greenhill. I think there are so many people who want to see everyone in the profession succeed, because like you said, like I say, the profession is so small, like we have to help each other. Uh, when we graduate from veterinary school, it's going to be us. We're going to be referring our clients to maybe people we knew in veterinary school, people we met in veterinary school. So Also, I want them to know that it's okay to want to be somewhere else along your journey, like that sometimes taking the leap out of your comfort zone is important and needed. Mm. You know, if someone told me I would be living in Southern California, like over like a thousand miles away from where I was in high school, I would have told them, no, I was not. No, I wasn't. You know, yeah, here I am. You know, yeah. I want them to know that, you know, the journey to veterinary school is arduous. But once you get here, you'll understand why the opportunities available to you once you're a vet student, I feel like they're just unmatched. Wow. That's great. So then what do you want pre-vet students to know? So those, suppose there is that there's a student like you, only he realizes in Mississippi, he realizes it in 10th grade. So he's got you beat by a few years. Which again is still statistically late. <laughs> Just for the record, it's still statistically late. I love it. <laughs> but say there, say say there's a Jeremy too in in high school in Mississippi, and he wants to go to vet school. And this is kind of what the stats look like in terms of one, just the number of of men or folks identifying as male in general, and then. Secondly, identifying as men of color or minority men, and then even <laughs> more as black men. What do you uh, want Jeremy two to know? Two point Oh, Jeremy two point Hmm. Let me see. Uh, stay out of my way. No, but <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. You just said that the vet students weren't as cutthroat. <laughs> 
2.0. You said there's a Jeremy 2.0 out there, so everybody's gonna like him, and they're not gonna like me anymore. <laughs> Jeremy too promises that one day in his distant future he will refer patients. <laughs> no. So let's take that off the table. <laughs> No, it's all fun. Uh, welcome to Jeremy 2.0. But I just feel, I, I would just tell him to find his uh, sense of self, I think, before coming to vet school. Because I feel like sometimes it can get lonely, being the lonely only, and uh, just being able to know what makes him happy in terms of uh, stress. Because I feel like, well, I guess in times of stress, it's going to be his guiding light. Find what you love to do. Veterinary school it's tough. It's stressful. There are finals. There are tests, really high stakes tests. So just find out like what, what you love to do in your downtime, you know, like take a study break or something like that. Uh, also that the people in veterinary school, especially uh, here at Western, they're really, they're loving, you know, I like, I feel like I could talk to anybody in my veterinary school class and just talk to them, you know, about anything, you know, we're just people, you know, and I don't feel like uh, we my class really sees statistics, you know, yeah, they see that I'm black, but, you know, they don't hold it against me or you know, they don't have like a preconceived notion about me. You know, they just see me uh, as a person like I see them. And, you know, I love them for it. You know, I, I love my class. And I think that's that, you know, like, you know, I both, although the statistics uh, may say something, you can always say something else. Like you can write your own story in veterinary school, like even like as a scientist in medicine, wherever you choose to do, where there may not be a lot of people like you going into that field, write your own story, you know? So when the statistics come up later in life, they can say, oh, well, Jeremy did this or Jeremy 2.0 did this. And you can be like, oh, I could be like him, you know? Yeah. That's great advice. That's great. So I've got a couple, just a couple more questions before we wrap. So yeah, I know it goes so fast, right? (laughs) What do you think about these dwindling numbers of men in the profession? And uh, what can we do to encourage young men to stay in our pipeline? Huh? I'm trying to think back to when I was in, because you have to, I feel like you have to, you have to veterinarians and I guess veterinary schools have to be able to get into uh, those early ages of education where students are learning like what they want to be, like those career days where you see like the firefighter or the police officer mm-hmm. or the person in medical school, you know, maybe have someone from veterinary school, you know, like, you know, go to go there and say, or even a veterinarian in the area, just go there and like say, oh, this is what veterinary school is, you know? Because I feel yeah. like I would have had that uh, just growing up, knowing like my love and my passion for animals growing up, I could have I could have known, you know, early on that I want to be a veterinarian. And these are the steps I need uh, to get there. You know, it'll yeah. I feel like it makes it. You'll know a path beforehand. You know? Yeah. Well, I, de- I definitely want to add that one of the things that that has come up in this conversation is is that you had a really early interest in science, right? So that that foundation was already there. That's kind of part of our battle in terms of true recruiting, um, because I think a, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, we've got these 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 young people that say, yeah, at the age of five, I'm going to be a veterinarian. And I mean, again, there's a lot of them. Um, For me, that's not recruiting. We're retaining them in the pool, but that's not recruiting. Recruiting is like the student like you 
Mm -hmm. who has this moment of reckoning, like I'm having this experience, this clinical experience. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I would think I want to go over here. (laughs) But the science interest is already there. So it gives us something to really work with and to dig with. And so I think that it's really, really important for people in the profession to understand that it's not just about deploying a veterinary specific curriculum, but really saying, hey, there's a bunch of students of all backgrounds, but certainly male and racially and ethnically underrepresented. Let's talk about STEM. And I can tell them as a veterinarian about STEM. So, you know, and and, and, uh, science and tech and math and engineering and all of those kinds of things. And what I do with that stuff in my work so that they can make that connection. But, but, you know, it doesn't have to be veterinary specific. Just working with that raw material of, of raw interest in science sometimes is really just the nugget we need. Right. I agree. So then my next question, and this is something I've been thinking about adding to the end of every show, is wellness is a big issue in veterinary medicine. I just finished a, a project um, with the AVMA looking at um, wellness, mental health, and um, and diversity and inclusion issues. And, you know, one of the things that I noted in that project was the disproportionate manifestations of issues around, you know, poor well wellness and well-being in communities of color and LGBT communities and kind of other marginalized communities. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you and I are like sitting here like, you know, stressed out to the max. But again, the data suggests that statistically we are more likely to be a little bit more stressed than some people. So my question to you is, as a first year vet student kind of matriculating in this environment and and, and, in an environment when one, we're having more of these kind of conversations and two, the colleges are doing so much more to try to kind of help students understand the need for self-care. What are you doing for self-care? Oh, me? In the middle of like, you know, one of the biggest trials of your life at school. (laughs) Actually, to be honest, my self-care was very limited when I first got to vet school because, you know, you get to vet school, you're like, oh, I'm going to study all day and all night. You know, I'm not going to sleep. But, you know, that's not... That's not healthy. You know, it's not wellness. I really, I truly found wellness during spring break in Southern California. You know, I, I always said, I live in California now. I should go do some California things. So now I go to the beach. You know, I peak a day during the weekend, every weekend, unless it's before a big test or a big exam. And I just go to the beach, you know, because I like, I like having fun. You know, I like the wind in my hair, I guess, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. You know, because, you know, in Mississippi or even in Colorado, you know, there wasn't there weren't beaches to go to. Right. You know, like just feeling the water and the sun and, you know, like getting some food and just, you know, walking around and just, you know, enjoying life, honestly. So I feel like that's been my self-care. It's just like work really hard during the week. So on the weekend, I can go to the beach and just lay out and not have, you know, let the responsibilities, you know, flow back. You know, mm-hmm. I can think about the responsibilities later tonight or tomorrow. So I think that's that's been my uh, self-care. So that sounds awesome. And -hmm. you've made most other vet students really jealous because their schools are not close (laughs) enough to go to the beach. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, don't be sorry. (laughs) Good on you for choosing Western. (laughs) 
you can kind of, um, uh, you know, maybe virtually commune with your colleagues like at Ross and, and St. George's. I've been down there a few times and, um, you know, that that's the, the surrounding environs there. And so um, I'm glad that you get a taste of it in Southern California. Yo, yes, it's nice. I really like it. When I lived in Colorado, I feel like I just like the big city vibes. Mm-hmm. You know? but so if there's a beach attached to it, you know, I'm there. <laughs> big city and a beach. You're awesome. So what do you what do you see yourself? You've got, you know, three three more years of vet school. Um, uh, what do you see yourself? You know, what what does the future hold for you? No, I, I, I feel like I had a plan coming in. But uh-huh. the first day of lecture, I changed that plan. <laughs> <laughs> also not unusual. <laughs> no, but honestly, in vet school, you get you get so much knowledge and so much learning. And you meet so many vets from different areas that you can do. You can want to do dermatology one day or radiology or zoo medicine or surgery, you know, and you can all want you can do all you can uh, want that to be your future within the span of five days of vet school, because that's <laughs> like, honestly, uh, or you could want to do anatomy or pathology, but I feel like my, uh, I want to really use my toxicology background as well with my veterinary school education. Uh, and actually that's veterinary toxicology. So, you know, yeah. I could, so I was thinking about uh, research actually. Okay. School. Uh, I have an internship this summer using a veterinary school, my veterinary school education as well as my talks background in a research lab. Cool. So I think like, that'll help solidify or maybe um, help me make a decision. Well, that's what I like about vet school. Like you don't have to know right now what you want to do, you know, like you can, yeah. you can know in a couple of years, you know, you have that time yeah. to do that with the DVM. So I think what, what I'm, I'm leading towards research right now. But okay. I know I'm, I'm at the bottom of that pool too. <laughs> like I'm not very unique to that too. So I think I'm just unique all over the place. Right. <laughs> like I think in one of our classes yesterday, the lecturer asked, "What uh, did anybody was anybody interested in research?" And I think of my 105 person class, there was maybe 10 of us who raised our hand. So okay, yeah, all right, almost 10 percent. Okay, let's work on something. Well, we certainly need more researchers and we certainly need more future academicians as well. So, you know, I'll definitely keep up with you and check back in, <laughs> in a right. years to see how you're coming along. Uh-huh. Great. Well, Jeremy, this has been my pleasure to have you on the show. You are a delight. I think that we can all agree that we will see probably big things for you. You're just really a rock star. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Thank you for having me on the show. This is really great. I made my podcast debut. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. If you like the show, please be sure to comment and rate on the podcast app of your choice. The show is distributed through all of the major ones. So you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Podcast and TuneIn and Amazon and all of those kinds of things. You can also find us on Facebook at AAVMC's AA, I'm sorry, at AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast, where we post the show, as well as other interesting news around about diversity and inclusion in general, and diversity and inclusion in higher education more specifically. And so um, with that, I will bring this episode to a close. Jeremy, again, thank you. 
for taking some time out after a class. Yes, it was really good. It was really, this This was my wellness for today. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And here I was just about to say, geez, like day before, you know, when you head to the beach and I'm not. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might go to the beach this weekend. So you, you never know. You go to the oh. beach. All right. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. And uh, it's been great. Yes, thank you. Thank you.